Welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast with your host, Michael Sherlock. We all have potential, but sometimes we need inspiration to get us to our peak performance. Whether you are starting out in your career, ready to move up the corporate ladder, or taking the leap into entrepreneurship, Michael's guests provide powerful tools and resources to shock your potential. Shock Your Potential is a global professional development training company committed to your unique journey. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. And I am always uh, Michael Sherlock, your host. That never changes. One day, maybe I'll have somebody guest host for me, but that would be very exciting to me. So perhaps not. And all month long in our Pack Your Bags series, I'm trying to get us all excited again about something that I find incredibly important to me, and that is travel. And not just travel for your job, but travel for learning about the rest of the world and really unleashing those positive, creative vibes within each one of us. And my guest today is going to talk about an area of the world I have not been to yet. Um, I know this is a passion project for him for many ways. And before we started taping, he said it's like his second home as well. Um, so I can't wait to learn from him. But I think it's going to really also challenge us to view travel as a way that we can make a difference. And there's lots of ways we can make a difference, but I'm really looking forward to hearing some of his stories. So Jeff Rosley is the founder of Basa Village Foundation, which funds culturally sensitive development in Nepal. He's also the co-founder of the Jeff and Alicia Rosley Internship Program for the ACLU of Indiana. Now, he's got a few other things on his resume. He's past president of Indianapolis Scientech, which promotes scientific inquiry and learning. He's the director of six nonprofit organizations, which means he has zero time for himself, including the Indianapolis Peace and Justice Center, University of Chicago Alumni Club, and the Phi Beta Kappa of Indiana. He is the U.S. liaison for the Himalayan expedition company, Adventure Geo Tracks, and he's taught courses on culturally sensitive development and philanthropy at Butler and Marion Universities and memoir writing at Indiana Writing Center. Now, not, not only that, he's, um, you know, in his extra spare time, he's authored 11 books, <laughs> and many of them um, have been about, uh, or at least one as a memoir about his 25 years of adventures and development work in the Himalayas. So Jeff, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me, Michael. I'm looking forward to our chat. I don't know how you have time to do anything else. Your your resume is is pretty impressive all in and of itself. But you know, tell me a little bit more about you and you know your passion, what you do with your life, and and why it's so important to you, and how you know that for you and for others that travel specifically has helped to shock your potential or shock other people's potential. Yeah. Well, let me. Uh try to dive into that with a little story, Mm. Um, true story. So I turned 40 and I was manifesting what my wife described as midlife crisis symptoms. (laughs) I already had a Harley motorcycle and a convertible sports car. Uh, My secretary was 20 years older than me, so I wasn't gonna run off with her on my Harley or sports car. But so um, I came home from the office one day and my wife, Alicia, slapped a brochure down on the table in front of me and said, why don't you go do this? And the brochure was um, a group trek on the Mount Everest Base Camp Trail. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. So my wife was telling me to go take a hike and do it on the (laughs) other side of the world. And um, she thought that would be good therapy for me to break me out of this midlife crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I had done a lot of um, what's usually called adventure travel. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was so into, uh, I'd become the head of a small law firm. I was extremely active in a lot of activities. And we had two young boys and I was a very involved father. So, you know, I was just busy, 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 mm-hmm. and uh, had not really done any kind of adventure travel for a few years. And so, you know, she said, go do this. This is what you need to do. And I did. Mm-hmm. And I just, I fell in love with uh, the Himalayan mountains, the, the majestic splendor of those huge mountains. But I also really fell in love with the, uh, the people and the culture uh, that live up in the high mountains. The, Sh- the Sherpas are the most well-known, but there are mm-hmm. other tribal ethnic groups um, that live up high as well. And um, Sir Edmund Hillary described them as the strongest and the kindest people in the world. Mm-hmm. And I agreed with that. And so I just, I wanted to go back. And I went back and I uh, was trained in mountaineering eventually and started uh, climbing as well as trekking and then started leading groups. And that led to starting a foundation over there to give back to this country that's very poor, uh, Mm. but that I felt had given much to me. So, uh, and the, the other thing in terms of shocking your potential. So, I'm uh, the, the senior member of this small law firm. And this, I, when I went to Nepal for the first time, uh, I took um, five weeks off because I not only went to Nepal, um, but I also went to Bali, uh, made a stop wow. over in Bali on the way back. And of course, I was really concerned. Oh my God, you know, the firm's going to go under, we're going to lose money. I get back, we made more money uh, in that month than we had. That was the best month of our year. And so, something that I learned from this um, on a business level is that if you have a well run organization, you have yes. dependable people, um, you can take time off. Uh, And that so many people, business owners, uh, high level executives, you know, just think, oh, it's all on me. It all depends Mm -hmm. on me. It's not true. (laughs) And uh, I was delighted to see how well uh, our firm did while I was gone. So I made a commitment. I would take a minimum of eight weeks vacation every year from then on, which I did. Oh, I think that's it's so incredible on so many different levels. And let's just start with that. I mean, we all know I, I've had, I can count three separate burnout periods in my career and they were bad. I mean, they were bad burnouts, but at those times I really just thought nothing could happen if I didn't make it happen. And it's such a, um, it's such a spiral that just feeds itself in its, you know, destruction of you slowly. And it's interesting where I am today, because I know even during the middle of a day, when it's time for me just to get up and walk away, go outside and take a walk, um, you know, just go lay down and do a meditation, take a nap in the middle of the afternoon, because I know exactly when I stop being as effective as I can be and should be, 
and that no matter how much I want to do more right then, it's just not going to pay off. And not, a, not everybody gets there. You know, that's, that's really interesting. And I, I agree with everything you said, except you're too young to have reached the third one because <laughs> I, I, I had three like you, only the third one came when I was 60. So <laughs> I'm getting close. <laughs> yeah, it's um, I think it's really important. I love, though, the fact that you said, too, um, that while you were gone and you realized that it, it was most profitable and you were said, I'm so proud of this, you know, basically that it did happen. There's also a lot of people that say, if I take that much time and it's good without me, then I'm not needed. And I think it's important for people as we, especially as we, you know, start to go back out in the world again, to remember, remember what we have found some different balance in the last year during a pandemic. Well, some people have, and that, you know, just killing ourselves or thinking that, um, it, that it's terrible if things are running well, when we're not there, instead of embracing it and say, maybe you just really did a great job getting it set up right in the first place. Well, you know, I think Europeans have been so much more benevolent and progressive uh, on, in this aspect in, in business for so long. Uh, you know, a number of countries have a national law that uh, four weeks uh, is minimum given to employees. And I think maybe you have to have been there a certain period of time. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, America is like, if, if you get two weeks off, a lot of, a lot of employees think that's pretty good. I think that's pathetic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, um, we had a minimum of three weeks paid vacation for our employees. And um, if they wanted to take more than that, you know, we'd make arrangements if we could. If arrangements were difficult, then okay, you can take the time off. We won't pay you, uh, but your job will be there when you come back. And I yeah. just, you know, I think an organization will run so much better if people feel like when they they've hit a burnout stage and they need time out. Uh, and also, like like you mentioned, even on a daily basis, to be able to just take a nap or meditate or do something to recharge your batteries. It's just, you know, it's not only humane, I think it makes good business sense. Yeah, I agree too. And I have become a real fan of like the 2 p.m. Well, I do a lot of um, uh, guided uh, hypnosis meditation. So uh, there's one that I really love and it's called Raise Your Energy. It takes 38 minutes and it's like the perfect time to kind of go, you know, relax, really decompress, go into that meditative state and come back out. And it's like, it's kind of like powering down your phone or powering down your computer. Everything just kind of closes, you know, I decompress. And by the time I come back, my, you know, every, the modem's running faster, you know, everything's, everything's got more juice behind it. And, and it makes a lot of sense. It's hard. It was a hard habit to get into. Um, today I won't, I didn't get to do it because it's a crazy day of taping, but I'm getting better at planning ahead better. Um, you know, the more I learn, the better I get at it. But I, I really want to ask you a question too. When you, so you talked about, you know, you went there, you met these people, strongest and kindest people. What possessed you? I know you said you wanted to give back, but tell me a little bit about your foundation and what possessed you to do that? And, and what kind of things do you try to achieve with your foundation that, you know, are really allowing you to feel like you're giving back? Well, um, after I started going back to Nepal on a regular basis, each time I would go, I would do a little 
fundraiser. Uh, it was primarily within my church initially, mm -hmm. and we'd raise a couple thousand dollars, and I would take uh, clothes and school supplies and things like that as much as I could get into my uh, big uh, expedition duffel bag. Mm -hmm. But uh, eventually, um, I was <laughs> I connected with this outfitter company or what, a trucking uh, travel company, um, and it was the first time I used this particular company because the one I had been using, um, we just we had some communication problems, and so I found this other company called Adventure Geo Trucks online and. And uh, I really hit it off with the owner through email. And uh, we just seemed to, you know, hit a nice um, vibe together. And so I did, I organized a group, um, which was a combination climb and trek. And the guys that um, were our porters and guides and cooks were, were just terrific. And it turns out they all came from this little village called Basso which was where mm -hmm. the owner, uh, a company, a guy named Niru Rai was from. Rai is a tribal ethnic group. And so we get back to Kathmandu and uh, the, the head guide, which is called a Sirdar, whose name was Ganas Rai, um, he said, you know, Niru and I would really like to talk to you about something we think is very important. And I said, yeah, okay, cool. So I go to Niru's house for dinner and after serving me so much food, I could, mm -hmm. couldn't barely stand up. They were very smart in that. And uh, I wasn't going to be able to escape. And they explained that their, their home village had a little uh, school that had three grades. And they wanted to add a fourth and a fifth grade. And they told me that if I could uh, raise or donate $5,000, that would buy all the materials they needed to add to two classrooms and to hire two more teachers for three years, pay their salaries for three years. Wow. Salary was $40 a month. And so I said, yeah, sure, of course. Uh, I mean, that $5,000 to give all the kids of this village two more years of school, you know, what a bargain. So I did. And um, then and that was in 2006. So in 2008, we organized a trek to Basa Village, which was the first time I visited the village. And it, it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Um, we got to the village and every resident had turned out and they built a little um, uh, sort of a, a, an entry uh, arch covered in flowers that said welcome in English. Most of the villagers did not speak English. Uh, and they literally covered us in flowers. Um, the, the only sort of um, native art uh, that the village has is uh, flower art. They make things with flowers. And they, they'd made these uh, lays um, and they, every villager wanted to put a lay around our neck and we were just, we were covered in flowers and uh, every family wanted to host us. They wanted to feed us. It was just, uh, you know, just the, this amazing sense of gratitude that they conveyed to us for, for us, you know, this really small amount of money. And, um, so 
because uh, I had asked uh, a bunch of uh, sort of trekking and climbing friends to donate after that, um, we decided we would start a foundation and we called it the Basa Village Foundation USA. We incorporated 501c3 status, all that. And mm -hmm. Nehru started a sister NGO in Kathmandu, the Basa Village uh, Foundation NGO. And all the members of his board either grew up in uh, or still live in Basa Village. And um, so our sister foundations since then have uh, done a hydroelectric system, a water system, a medical clinic, um, smokeless stoves, uh, solar lights, uh, just uh, we've sort of brought uh, since 2007, when the school added the, a, a new school building, um, have brought in some sense, all of the, uh, the sort of modern infrastructure that you'd expect a small town to have uh, to Basa Village. But the way we've done it is we've tried to do it by not affecting the culture of the village, their traditional culture uh, in any way other than what the villagers have chosen for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so just, I'll, I'll tell you one other, I think is a neat little story that illustrates how we've approached this, what we call culturally sensitive development. Mm -hmm. So in their homes, the, home, the homes are actually very beautiful. They're all made with stone and they have uh, colorful tin roofs and uh, they're dirt floors in the middle of the, the, uh, the room. And they're mostly just one room is a round fire pit. And on the fire pit are three sacred stones, which represent father, mother, and children. And the stones tell people where you should sit when you visit their home. And uh, so they, they have this sort of cultural, uh, family, quasi-religious significance. Well, so we, we did a smokeless stove project. And the point was, because inhaling wood smoke every day of your life causes pulmonary problems, cataracts, uh, heart attacks, et cetera. So, um, but so what I was concerned about is if the stove replaces the fire, what about the sacred stones, this long tradition? So I get back to the village after the, the stoves have all have been installed in all the homes. Some of the homes put the stove over in the corner fire pit, the stones are still there. Other villagers put the stove right on top of the stones. And so I think, oh, you know, we've destroyed this long tradition. So I'm talking to my friend, Booty Rai, who's one of the guides for Adventure Geotracks. And Booty, you know, well, what about the, because in his home, they put the stove on top of the stones. And I said, well, Jeff Dye, we know where the stones are. They're still there. <laughs> so and I thought this is you know this is really it's a, a wonderful sort of illustration of how you can maintain a traditional culture but also have the advantages that modern medicine and technology can do for you and you know improve your standard of living improve your health improve life expectancy and so anyway 
I love that. I mean, that's just so amazing on so many levels, but I, I especially love the fact that sometimes it's easy to think you're helping and maybe coming in and bringing technology or bringing, you know, some uh, basic necessities. But if you're not involving the people you're bringing them to, um, you might have cultural insensitivities. You might not exactly know, you know, how that really works in the person's day-to-day life. You know, that it's, it's really about communication and trying to be aware of, sensitive to, and ask all the right questions. Absolutely. And so when Nehru and I uh, first were talking about creating these foundations, we developed um, some basic principles or a philosophy towards how we were going to do development. And I think two of the most important ones were that every project would be requested by the village itself. So Mm -hmm. the way the village makes decision is they have a community-wide meeting and they do it by consensus. They just, they talk, (laughs) which can take days until (laughs) they reach an agreement. Um, And so none of these projects were our ideas. They were all the villagers' ideas. And then the second really important element is that all of the construction work, like building the new school, the villagers do themselves Mm -hmm. and we don't pay them for that and then they own it. So they created a utility board, they created a school board. So it's, you know, it's truly theirs. And so there isn't just this, you know, we didn't want to create a culture of dependency where we just give Mm. them stuff. And then it's like they aren't really invested in it. Mm -hmm. I love it. Oh, my goodness. I can't wait to learn more. We're going to take a quick break, Jeff. We're going to hear from our sponsor and we'll be right back. Solopreneurs and small businesses often struggle to create effective digital marketing programs. It's hard to know where to start, what to prioritize, how to sift through confusing information and solutions that seem too good to be true. Agencies and full-time marketing employees are also expensive. And Marketing You is a modern marketing course with all the tools, education, and accountability you need to grow your business without that extra set of hands or high overhead costs. At And Marketing You, you will learn exactly what you need to do to execute a concrete marketing strategy by dedicating just two to four hours per week. And Marketing You will help you to execute strategy, messaging, content marketing, SEO, social media, paid digital advertising, and more. You'll have access to on-demand resources, live courses, group coaching sessions, community forums, and networking, plus the exact templates and tools you need for success. I took this course myself, and one of the greatest benefits we gained was learning to develop a competitive strategy that aligned our social media playbook and website to generate highly qualified leads. For all the tools, education, and accountability you need to grow your small business at a fraction of the cost of hiring a traditional agency or additional employee, go to www.and-marketing.com forward slash you. Again, that's www.and-marketing.com forward slash you. And use the code SHOCK to receive 10% off of any program. And we are continuing this dialogue about just even this one community within Basa, within Nepal. Um, but 
You know, I know that there's a lot of people listening right now who are thinking, well, you know, like many people, you think about Nepal, you think about Everest and, uh, you know, like I would not, I mean, I'd love to go, but I, I would never even have thought about it too much because I'm like, well, I'm not going to go climb Everest. That's, I don't even want to climb to the base camp. That has no appeal for this girl. She's just not that hardy. But, you know, if somebody's listening now and they think, well, that's me too. I've never thought about, you know, what I could experience in Nepal. What, what kind of things could you tell us about going there? And, and what other ways can we experience that, those places and that culture and, and really have it be something that has an incredibly positive impact on us as well as no, you know, learning about another culture? Yeah, well, first of all, I would encourage most people who want to climb Everest not, <laughs> don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't, exactly. don't even dream about it because about uh, 90% of the people that are attempting it shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. um, it's really, it should only be for the truly elite mountain climbers, which I'm not. I've never mm -hmm. attempted it and didn't think I was qualified, even though I saw a lot of people who were a lot less qualified than me trying. Mm -hmm. But what uh, I think is just a wonderful experience that anyone who is reasonably fit, meaning if you can get on a uh, step mill or, you know, an EFX machine, mm -hmm. set it at an, an incline. Um, and if you can just walk at a good steady pace uh, for 45 minutes, you can do a trek. Uh, because the, the way um, Himalayan trekking is designed, it, the style was created by British aristocrats. And so their approach to travel was, I would like to have a jolly good adventure, cheerio, pip pip, but I don't really want to work too hard. Uh, and so the porters carry all the heavy stuff. You carry a light day pack. Um, and now, uh, most of the trucks, you stay in lodges. Used to be we would tent camp, but mm -hmm. lodges have been built all along the main trails, Everspace Camp Trail, Annapurna Circuit, um, other uh, less well-known but travel trails. And so you don't even sleep in a tent. You can if you want to. If you want to no, do you. trekking, <laughs> you still can. But so you stay in a lodge, they, they now all have warm running water. You can take a shower every night, which when I was first going over there, if you wanted to take a shower, it was with a bucket. Oh, it was boy. With water that was heated over a campfire oh. or not heated. Um, so it's really the, the uh, trekking has become has adapted to <laughs> the uh, less hardy souls, but who want to experience the mountains. And that's the mm -hmm. thing, even though what the way you sleep and your meals and so forth may not be as, uh, you know, as tough and gritty as it used to be, you're still walking the same trails. Yeah. And what is just, it's a delightful thing. It's a, to me, it's a form of meditation of putting one foot in front of the other. And that's mm -hmm. your focus becomes watching where you place your feet so you don't mm -hmm. trip and fall and then stopping every now and then and looking around at the most fantastic vista in the world, taking as many pictures as you want. Everybody in a trekking group walks at their own pace. Um, we put uh, assistant uh, Sirdar, assistant guides in the back of the group 
so you don't fall behind. We tell the people who want to turn it into a race, if you want to get out ahead of uh, our leading guide, you can, but if you come to a fork in the trail, please wait there. Um, and so we try to keep people who know where they're going in the front and the back of the group. Mm -hmm. um, and anybody who has trouble, we assign a, a, a porter guide to that person, but you don't have to carry heavy loads and you get to concentrate on just, you know, walking, thinking, feeling and experiencing the beauty of the mountains and the strongest, kindest people in the world. I think I'd feel guilty watching somebody carry all that heavy stuff while I'm just kind of ambling away and enjoying my, my journey. Did you, do you ever have that moment where you're like, I'm, I'm sorry, you're carrying all that? <laughs> your, your guilt ends when you do the thing that a lot of us love to do, which is try to lift that <laughs> it's called a doco basket it's a straw basket that they put all your your stuff in mm -hmm. and you know i'm over six foot tall i'm pretty fit and i can barely get up uh with that load on my back and these guys are half my size the the average yeah. border is five four five foot four uh 120 pounds wow. and they're like Hillary said, they're the strongest people in the world. And to them, you know, it's a job and they've been doing it since they were young. They know how to do it. Uh, and so your guilt will, will resolve very quickly. <laughs> and then I'll just be thankful. <laughs> yeah, you'll be, you'll be very thankful that I can guarantee you. Oh, Jeff, thank you. Your stories have been fantastic. You've really inspired me. I've taken a lot of notes. Um, and I know we'll have all your contact information on your show notes, on our show notes for you, but just in case somebody wants to find you right now, cause they want to look you up, what's the best way for them to find you and find out more about your adventures and, and your, um, and your nonprofit. What's, what's the easiest way for them to find you? Yeah, I have a personal website that has all that information about the trekking and climbing and the foundation. And it's my full name which is uh, Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, R-A-S-L-E-Y.com. Um, so, and, and my email is, has a contact on the website. So anybody can email me personally, delighted to continue this conversation with any of your listeners. Um, so that way. Excellent. And before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? Yeah, my advice is to take the time, um, really, like you said, Michael, during your day to refocus um, and whether it's through meditation or going out and taking a walk, uh, but also take the time every year. Uh, you know, life is short. Uh, if all you do is work, um, you know, that's really not a great life. And there's so many wonderful places in the world to see and experience. And I think every time you encounter uh, a different culture, a different environment, you expand as a human being. And you know, isn't that one of the most important things that we do to grow? And, uh, you know, I'm getting old, but uh, I feel like I still uh, grow uh, every time I go to Nepal and to the 
other places that I visited around the world. I love it. Jeff, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's been fabulous. And I'm really glad that we had you on today. Well, thank you, Michael. I really enjoyed it and hope maybe we will do it again. Yay. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best-selling books. Tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees, and sales mixology, why the most potent sales and customer experiences follow a recipe for success. Make sure to check out our Shock Your Potential app, on-demand professional training resources to help you excel in your career. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and like us today.